This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. For those who don't know, I've been here about 28 years here at the student ministry at Trinity Baptist Church, and I love teaching, I love preaching. It'll be a mixture this morning, and as I told the earlier service, here's what happens. I've fought it for decades. It's just not going to happen. Uh, when I get excited, I get a little boisterous, and I love to move around. I already gave the warning to the video crew people to follow me. I move around, so Brady's ready to go with that. And when I get excited about God's Word and what we're talking about or the points we're making, something happens to the speed of my voice, and the vocals start speeding up. So I love visuals, so get your eyes stimulated, ready to go, and so they can follow me around where I'm going to go and speed up your hearing. Because I just can't slow down sometimes. All right. So let's just jump into the story. It's this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, that's a very famous story. If you've been in the faith for just a small amount of years, you know about the story. But it reminds me of another story. There is this woman sitting in her friend's office who was a lawyer. They were best buddies back in the sorority days in their college. And she was getting ready to finalize her fourth divorce. History on this woman named Kathy. Her first marriage, uh, she was younger and married a little older man, but, you know, it, he was a banker and, uh, for his occupation, and it lasted uh, just a couple years, and then she divorced him. Then she got caught up in this whirlwind relationship with an actor. Turned out to be a movie star. Well, that lasted about one year, and then she divorced him. Then she met the love of her life, a preacher. Huh? There you go. Six years they remained married, remained married, and then she divorced him. And now you're caught up. She's at in a lawyer's office, her friend, and get ready to finalize her fourth divorce from a man who is an entrepreneur of sorts and has a chain of funeral homes, and he's actually a mortician. So her lawyer friend said, Kathy. I've known you for years, just don't think this wrong, but you've got a very unique set of men you've married and their skills and their occupation. What was up with all that? And Kathy said, well, Becky, if I had to put it down, I thought about that too. The first one, one, uh, was for the money, two was for the show, and the third one was to get ready, and the fourth one (laughs) was to go. All right, has nothing to do with the message. I'll just make sure you're on the same page. You hear what I'm saying? Watch this. It has nothing to do with blue suede shoes. has nothing to do with the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, but everything to do about King Jesus. What a transition. Now that we're all ready to your alert, here we go. We're going to look at John chapter 4. But before we look at John chapter 4, what do we need to do? We need to look at the whole book of John. Why did John write the gospel. Oh, oh, only if we would know why he wrote the gospel. Wait, he did. John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Very good. Now, I want you to pay attention a few things. Now, there's a little bit, has a little, these slides right here, just because they didn't transfer over right, takes a little bit of time. So we got to get, this is your time to 
catch up with my speed talking and you're hearing this catch up. So what I want you to do is look at two things while we go through this. You're going to see Jesus' humanity and his deity simultaneously being displayed for us all to see. We're going to see it and you're going to see levels of it. As Eric Myers told us in his, when he brought the message to us two weeks ago about the curtain behind the Old and the New Testament. We didn't know what was going on, but a lot was going on. God was working. Same thing here. We're going to see layers and layers and depthness and uniqueness of how God's story is going to unfold. And thus, curtains going to be raised for us to learn more and more about his humanity and his deity to help us even in our life. Now, when we look at the book of John, we know that John the writer, not the Baptist, John the writer, wrote for us to see him as, we'll get there in a second, the son of God. There it is. Then we see John the Baptist presents Jesus in a few a chapter earlier, a chapter and a half earlier, as the Messiah. Then we see the disciples come along and they testify that Jesus is the Messiah. And now we're going to see one more that Jesus even professes these truths about himself. Okay? That's what we're going to look at. So pay attention to those and remember those things about the book of John. But here's what's interesting. He professed this to the most unusual person. A woman, of all things. A Samaritan woman. Emphasis Samaritan. Why would I be so emphatic about that? Well, let's take a little gander at how the pure Jews of the southern kingdom of Israel viewed the northern kingdom Jews, the Samaritans. They were considered, this is their language, half-breeds because they intermixed the Jewish culture with all other paganistic cultures and started doing a crazy thing. Now, if you ask any Jew, good Jew, at that time, sir, good Jew you, what do you think of the Samaritan Jews? What do you think about their country? What do you think about their worship? What do you think about the food prepared by their hands? What do you think about a good Jew walking through there? What's your mindset on that? And I think I found something that might actually show it. Yeah, that's probably what they would be saying if you asked them that question. So let's look at the Samaritans in the historical sense. We understand what's going on so you can get the for reveal, layer peeled, understand more of what's going on in this story. Now, when the nation of Israel split after King Solomon's reign, King Amari took over and made him a northern kingdom capital called Samaria. Then Assyrians come in at 722, fast forward, and they took over the place. Took 10 of the replant, or took out 10 of the tribes of, the Jew, uh, uh, of Israel and left two there. And these are the Jews who were left in Samaria. Then they started, uh, all the non-Jews started moving in, hanging out, and they started intermarrying with each other, which was not the best thing presented to through the Old Testament for them to do. And then what happens? Every time the Old Testament, when other cultures come in and invade the Israel's way of worship, they allowed idolatry to take over, and their worship became paganistic. Even made their own little worship center in the northern kingdom. So then what happened was a big confrontation happened and a disliking for each other that the southern kingdom Jews said, those are nothing but heretical, paganistic people. It's heresy what they're doing. They're unclean. 
Don't go through that place. Don't go through that town. Don't eat anything prepared by them. Stay away from the Jewish Samaritans. Then the northern king did the same thing. Oh, those uppity people. Stay away from them. So there you go. You thought racism was bad, bad back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s here? And this woke, crazy racism they got going on now, whatever that is, not even close to this racism, this cultural, ethnic problem they had with each other. They hated each other. Now, let's look at this woman. Spoiler alert, she's not good. She is a Samaritan, means she's a half-breed Jew, and she's had five husbands before, and we know that she's living with someone now. She's a big sinner. Got it? But here's what's interesting before we go any further. If you know your Bibles, which I know you do because you're good Christians, right? John chapter 3, the total opposite thing happens. An elite religious leader named Nicodemus, high culture, moral, high standards, respected, goes to Jesus. Here, the lowest of the low And Jesus reaches out to her. My friends, the gospel application time is for everybody. Doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your sin. The gospel is for us all. We need to remember that. Now let's move forward. Let's go and see how this happens. But let's take this. I'll use this as an example. This is the John account, John chapter 4, right there. That's actual history happening right there. We, as today believers, do not go, let's go, let's take this Bible verse and story and go over here and put it in our culture and our time and say, what does it mean to me? Nope. Good job, camera guy. Here we go. We go from our time and go, let's walk over here to the time of Jesus, to the time of this story and say, I want to learn what's going on. Then, how does this apply to me? What does Christ say to me at this time, through this time, because his word is true through all generations, all right? So we need to go there instead of trying to take it out of context. That's called hermeneutics 101. So now let's start. Wow. Verse 1 and 2. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Stop. John is a thorn of the flesh of the Pharisees. He's been calling out their traditions, bad traditions. Jesus comes along. He's getting a bigger follower, and his disciples are baptizing people left and right. And Jesus already had a confrontation earlier in John 1, 2. We see that against the traditions of the Pharisees, yet in God's timing, here comes a curtain, here comes a layer. It's not time for the full confrontation. How do we know? Because what Jesus did next. Look, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. Now, he's going to spend Galilee. He's going to spend there about a year after this. But here's what we're looking at this story before that. Interesting thing about Galilee, it's hard to see, but here we go. There's a little circle thing right there. If I could jump high enough, I'd show you, but I can't. So there it is. You go all the way up to the next circle. It's called Sychar. But he's supposed to be going all the way up to that, see that lake or the Sea of Galilee? Right next to it's Galilee. They're supposed to go from there all the way up there. Now, there's many ways 
to get to Samaria, no, Samaria, to Galilee, not going through Samaria. Best way to the right, to the valley, all the way up that way. Next way, it's out of your way, but you've got to stay away from the unclean Samaritans. That's what a good Jew does. You would go far to the coastline, walk all the way up, stay far away. You need to get a boat and skip that part. But you do not go through Samaria. Okay? That is what we know. But something happens. Next verse happens. He had to travel through Samaria. That's a had. He had to. Was there an option? It says he had to. Was there a big pandemic on the left and the right? He had to go through the straight and miss it without mask? No. It was, we don't know. We're not privy to that curtain or layer reveal yet. What is it? What is it? Be patient. Maybe we'll find out why he had to go through Samaria. Now, we see, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, right there where we saw it a while ago, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Go back to the map. Whew. I put some dots there. I know it's hard to see that the pen, I didn't know it would not transfer over well here. But if you look at that, I made a big circle and a lot of dots and things like that, showing that there is geography issues there. We have rolling hills, mountainous areas, rocky soil. It's not an easy travel. Okay? It's not an easy travel. Got it? Next verse. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. Okay? Interesting facts. What's that to do with anything? Did you know? That from Judea, Jerusalem area, all the way to Sychar, is 20 miles. They left that morning and got there by noon. So they traveled 20 miles in six hours. Over hard terrain, not flat sidewalk surfaces like we might have here. So it wasn't one of these... So disciples, come on. Would you like to enjoy their breakfast? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus is great. Yeah, la, la. Great land. Great. Oh, look at that bird. Yeah. Nope. It was more of a walk like this pace. And you're not even ground. <laughs> okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. We're going down here. We got to get. Why are they going so fast? You know the disciples are going, Jesus. What's, is, he, is he power stepping? What's we doing? What's he going? And the disciples probably going, oh, we're going through Samaria. He wants to get out of that unclean area fast, quick, in a hurry. Hot till it out of there. Hmm. Let's find out what happens. Jesus' humanity is seen because it says he got to the well and was worn out. They haven't eaten. If he ate breakfast, they haven't eaten since then. Hard travels in their sandals and their garbs over rocky land. When they get there, Jesus is dog. Tired. A woman of Samaria came to drink water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Mm. Now that's interesting. Jesus is the aggressor here. Do you know a good Jew does not talk to women in the daytime, especially a Samaritan woman? I mean, not necessarily supposed to do that. 
But even the tradition was rabbis, which he's called rabbi many times, are not supposed to even talk to their family women folk until you're at home. You just don't do that. That's the tradition back then. So he's busted those traditions out. Now, interesting thing right there. Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Remember, there's no throwaway verses in God's word. What's that there? Do you, this is rhetorical. You can ask, but, you know, I'll, I'll let you answer that life if you want to. Do you think a woman who we know has been married five times, living with someone in Lynn Sin is and a half-free Jew, would approach this well with 13 Jewish dudes standing around it drinking? Absolutely not. But who does she see? Just one person. Why? Now we know a curtain revealed, a layer peeled off. He had to go to, through Samaria. He had to go through it. Why? Because there was a divine appointment. Disciples wasn't privy. Jesus was. Application time. Because as we do this, we're not going to wait to the summation. We're telling application as we go through this. How many times... Have you had a hard road? It's frustrating. It's tough. And you almost gave up, and you, you see Jesus come through at the nick of time. He's got a plan for your life following his plan, not yours. His divine plan supersedes our selfish plans every time, 100%. Now, we may try to do it the other way, and we have to live out the consequences, but you can trust Jesus' timing. Even if you don't know why you're walking so fast toward this struggle or through this struggle or through this destination. Keep that in mind. Now, Jesus goes to her, right? And remember, it's an outrageous thing to do in the position that he's in. And we know the disciples are now forced to go get food in Sychar. And who lives there? It's the Samaritan Jews. The Humphreys, the unclean people. And where are they getting food? From the town. Prepared by who? The unclean people. You know there was probably some, what does Jesus make us do this for? I can't believe it. But Jesus knew he had to be there by himself in order to approach this woman and talk to her and have this conversation. Now, let's let's pick back up the story. She says, how is it? That you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me. She gets it. She knows what's up. She knows the tradition. She recognizes him probably from his clothes that he is from uh, Jerusalem, Judea area. He's one of these pure Jews they would call themselves. She asks for, you know, the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Then he replies, get this. If you knew the gift of God. And who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would ask him, and he would give you living water. See what Jesus did there? He was thirsty, and then he turned it around and talked about living water. And he said, but if you knew the gift of God, remember, her religion is this, do, 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 do. Then you might get, 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 get. Jesus, through that traditional way, said, if you know the gift of God, You would just ask for the water and be given to you. Free gift of the gospel. Of course, when Jesus is saying living water, he's referring to life, salvation, 
It was actually, it was actually mentioned in, uh, in Isaiah 12 that we just read. And some other scriptures that talks about the water. It always represents life, salvation about through God, okay? So it's there. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on and say in John chapter 6, 35, 7, 37, that he is the living water. He is the one that will satisfy your thirst, right? Now let's continue. See if she gets it. Sir, you don't even have a bucket, and that well is deep. So where do you get this living water from, right? She's still stuck in the natural world. Here comes sarcasm. You are greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Well, who do you think you are type of thing? Really, where's your bucket? Do you know who this well this is? Jesus shows mercy. And for 13 and 14, you see, Jesus said, Well, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. The water is a blessing. The water is turning to life. It's satisfaction. It's sanctification for the soul. It's glorification forever. I think she gets it. Look at the next four or five words. I think she's going to get it. I think she's, sir, the woman said, give me this water. She gets it. No, because it continues. So that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. She was so close. She was so close to getting it. She, how many times have we been so close in our life? Going down the road, traveling down that spiritual road that God has led us on. We're growing. Whoa, we're feeling good about the Lord. We feel we're maturing. And all of a sudden, here comes this real cross little thing in our way. We're getting a little nervous. We're getting a little nervous. And God's going, oh, come on. We've got this. Trust in me. Trust in my words. Trust with your church and you're praying for you. Trust the prayers of the saints. Come on. you got this. Uh, uh, but, but, but maybe, I don't know. I should go this way because I, I or this way, or sin. We're, we're sinning. Okay. And we go after sin. And we're so close to getting exponential growth. We sabotage it. I said in our early services because we have feeble minds, carnal minds, still in the work and the process. So our idiocy comes through, our moronic views come through, and we're just a brave mind sometimes. But how close are we? But yet in this story, we see the same thing that Jesus does for us. He once again shows kindness, He shows mercy. And he shows patience. Isn't that great? That's an amen for, the, for your life and my life that Christ still does that. Now, it's like a halftime part. Now we're going to proceed and see that we're going to see Jesus lead this woman to the realization of what true worship is. He's talked a little bit about water. He's talked a little bit about spiritual things. Now we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. He actually is going to get her to worship him in the end. Let's find out what happens. Verse 16. Call your husband. Tell him come back here. Oh, that's kind of weird, but okay. Assuming maybe she's married. That's why she's there at the water. But you know what? Interesting thing about more of a hidden thing that we get to see. Curtain being uplifted, a layer being pulled back. You look at the geography in Sidecar, 
Do you know she skipped by two more whales that were in her way to get to this third whale? Why? And she shows up at noon? Why? You're not supposed to show up at noon as a woman. The time for your time to get water is the early, either early morning or at sunset. You don't go during the day. She did. And she skipped two whales to get to her by geography-wise to get Jacob's well. Remember, she's an adulteress. She's been married five times, divorced five times. She's living with someone. She's shunned. We can make this observation that she is shunned from her community and doesn't want to hear it. So she picks the most inopportune time to go. And once again, we see how Jesus had this figured out. Six o'clock in the morning. He's going to meet her at noon by himself. Man, the divine call of God. We can trust it. You can trust him. So we get there and go call your husband. What? Here's what she says. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus being quick. You have correctly said. I don't have a husband. Why would she not tell him the whole truth and nothing but the truth? What is the punishment for adultery? Stoning. Death. Ooh. No wonder she wouldn't let all things out to this man, this pure Jew, who asked a lot of weird questions about her. So here's the thing. We do the same thing. Application time. How many kids here has withheld the total truth from your parents. You just give just enough. It's kind of true. It's truth enough. But you don't want to tell the rest of the truth because you might get in trouble. And how many of you parents have done the same tune to the kids? When they ask you a question, you give them a hmm, truth, but not the whole truth. And how many of you parents have done that even as you're an adult to your parents at your age you are? You just uh, tell them just enough of the truth. But not the whole. And how many of us adults have done that to our bosses? The truth, but not the. And how many of us have done that to the tax man in America? Just enough of the truth, but not everything. I keep some of it to myself. Or how many times you've done this to your spouse? Just enough of the truth. Not the whole truth. Friends, we can do that all day long. And you might get by with it because you're pretty good at it. You cannot get away from Christ. We cannot fool Christ. He knows us. More on that in a second. So here's what Jesus says. I, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. I took a big gap. Here it is. I don't have a husband. You have five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. It was like a Jerry Springer reveal or something. All right, boom. Do you match her going, how does he know that? How does he know what happened? So, what's one of our first things she comes up with? I see that you're a prophet. You got something going on. You know something that people don't post to know, but you know it. Wow. I see that you're a prophet. And so now, let's look. Wait. She says, you know, prophet, but how does, how does Jesus know this? We talked about his humanity. We talked about his deity. Here's some more of his deity revealed. We're not going to go through all the scriptures. Just go back one chapter, uh, two chapters. Chapter 2, verse 23 and following. Get the story. While he was, Jesus, in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed his name. When they saw the signs he was doing, 
Now, Jesus, however, would not entrust, entrust himself to them since he knew them all. What? Oh, you must mean like, oh, he knew Andy and Goober and Aunt B and Opie. He just knew Floyd. Not that type of new. Not that type of no. Not that he knew them specifically by name. He knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He's showing his deity. He knows what's in the heart of them. They are following him because he did some cool things. Wow. The wow. That's all they're following him. He says, nope, that's what I'm about. I had to do these things. I need to do these things, but I know where your heart is. You don't believe me as Messiah. You don't believe me as someone from God. You just see me doing some, some fancy things. I'm not entrusting myself to you at this time. He went on. We can't fool God. We cannot play a game with him and keep on saying, well, I got everybody else fooled. You can never fool Christ. Remember that. Now, let's continue. Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, she said. But you Jews say the place of worship is in Jerusalem. What is going on with this conversation? Why did it turn to worship? She's feeling convicted of sin. He just called her out for being a sinner. And so she knows he's a Jew from the Jerusalem area, that the southern kingdom, that's where you're supposed to worship. She sees that. But she's asking, so if I'm bad, like, like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to worship? I'm feeling convicted here. And Jesus answers. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What? You Samaritans, well, he doesn't pull a punches. Worship what you don't know. They're the wrong worship. They're hypocritical. They are not doing the right worship. They are paganistic heathens worshiping not Yahweh. But we worship what we do know. What is saying? Oh, they got it right. Even Jesus is saying good job for the Jews over there in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom because they are actually worshiping Yahweh. They have some bad traditions and recognize who the Messiah is, but they are worshiping him. They got the right God. But an hour is coming. Oh, don't you love it? When it automatically, you get the curtain revealed right then and there. No more, no more waiting. To her, he goes, but an hour is coming. And it, it's now. It's here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. Why can he say that? Because the truth is in front of her. Remember, Jesus is the truth. He's the word and became flesh. You cannot ever, no matter how much you try, worship in spirit without going through Jesus Christ first, the truth. Amen? All right. Thank you. John Baxter, good job. Way to be there for me. Now. Or for God, not for me, you know what I mean. Okay, so anyway, Jesus goes on and says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's through Jesus Christ only. All right. He also tells the Samaritan woman, hey, it's not about the rituals and it's not about a place. It's in spirit that you worship. Don't worry about where you are. It's in spirit. She's going to get it. I think she's going to get it this time. All we got to do is read the verse. She gets it. The woman said, oh, I know the Messiah is coming. Who is called Christ? When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's so close. She will not get 
the right answer. If you was Jesus and I was Jesus, we'd be going, oh, these humans. No, no, no. My niece has something that she likes to say when something gets overbearing or just cray, cray, crazy in their life. She'll go, oh, I'm done. I'm done. How many times would we have said this to the woman if he was Jesus? I'm done with you. Three or four times I've been trying to tell you what's going on. You can't even get it. Whoa. That's why we're not Jesus. Because how many times have you done this to Christ? You know what to do. You know what the right way to go is, and yet we deny him at that time and give in to sin. Or we give, we give in to our own thinking, not the thinking of Christ. Mm. But God is so patient. God is so merciful, even to this woman. He goes, you know what? He knows. He knows what's going on. He knew where this conversation was going to lead from 6 o'clock that morning. Here he is. He goes, all right, now I get to do the big reveal. Take down that curtain. Rip up that layer and says this. I, the one speaking to you, am he. Profession. He's Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Jesus just said that. He goes, I am. Whoa, did you say I am, Michael? Oh, we see that. Exodus 3, 14, Deuteronomy 32, 39, Isaiah 41, 4, 43, 10. All talking about God saying who he is. He calls himself, I am. Jesus is. Jesus declared to this woman that he is the Messiah. Mom, upside down, wow. Isn't that great? The disciples... Then they come back. Oh, let's see what happens with these guys. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed. Not this way. Oh, this is awesome, man. Look at Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. What? Nope. Amazed in the wrong way that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar. Ooh, application time. When we come to Jesus, we leave everything else. Do not take baggage with you. Leave what she came for that water. She's leaving something else. How we know? The woman left her water jar, went to town, and told the people, Come and see a, who, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made the way to him. Now, verses 31 to 38, that's another message, another story. Jesus had a little powwow with the disciples because they're talking about food and spiritual food, and they're like, what? And so anyway, so move on past that. Now we pick up the town, Samaritan people finally show up at the well of Jacob. And these verses here, here's what happened. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him. What? Because of what the woman said when she testified. What? She had no discipleship training? What? She hadn't been a part of a church yet? What? She's up just telling people about Jesus, and people are like, I believe it. They did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. <laughs> I want to see behind that curtain. I want to see that layer lifted up. I want to know what happened. Did a bunch of parables happen? Did a bunch of miracles happen? Did they have big feasts and parties of celebrating who God is at that time because salvation had come to the Samaritan Jews? We're not privy to that one. We don't get that one. 
But what we do get is someone coming out in front of the curtain going, and here's what happened. In general, what happened? Let me get that right here. Many more believed because of what he said. And then they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. We did believe because we said, but now we see Jesus. We see, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Boom, curtains going up. Boom, layers coming across. They understand who Jesus is, not just by testimony. They actually experience him now. A town in Sychar. Most of the people are saved. They believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. All because of a conversation that probably started that morning when Jesus goes, I got to go through Samaria. And we're going to hide till up there quickly. Keep up, disciples. And go get something to eat, Bill Bear, sit here and be tired. But save people. Wow. Wow. All because of one conversation. Then telling others, and then basically a whole town comes to Christ, basically. Now, for us, let's look at this evangelically. Evangelistically, sorry. How did Jesus do it? Simple. He started with the natural. Hey, water. I'm under well. Hey, give me some water. Hey, I got living water. And if you knew, you would be like, whoa, what's living water? Well, he went from the natural to the spiritual, right? Talk about something. You can do that same thing. We're, we can follow this as a guideline. Not every time, but you have things. You can talk about people, talk about the football game, talk about uh, how you raise your kids, or talk about what, what's going on in our society or politics. Don't get too crazy. And then go and talk about, hey, did you see that wreck down there? Oh, wow. And you talk about the natural, and you bring it to the spiritual, but you have to bring it to something. Because why would somebody think they need Jesus that they don't understand they need Jesus? They don't understand sin. So you have to bring a conviction of sin into their life somehow. And that's the conversation. It's hard to do. All right, I know. You might be scared. But we serve a Savior who is loving, patient, and kind to us. Why can't we be loving, patient, and kind to others and take a little step out of our comfort zone and go to the conviction of sin? And then as Jesus did, he revealed himself as the Messiah and says, I am the answer. And all we got to do is, hey, I'm not the answer. It's Jesus is the answer. Let me tell you what he did. That's how simple it is to evangelize. No, so we're concluding right here. So think about this. If you're unsaved, which is probably some people here, that's just the odds are, there's no fill-in-the-blank prayer that we give you here. There's not going to be anybody up here. There's going to be a time during the song that you, if you realize, you know what, I don't have that relationship. I need that new reveal. I need, I'm understanding who Jesus is. And I know I have a debt with God, and I can't pay it, but Jesus paid it. Because he's the Savior, and Savior and Messiah means he's going to cleanse everybody and take that punishment, as he did on the cross, if you know about Jesus. And all you got to do is repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus and say, I will live for you from now on. And then we can talk later about what's the next steps, how to live a life as a follower of Jesus Christ. We can talk about that. I'll be up here. For you guys who might, you know what, I got a burden. I don't care what thing you said. I wasn't listening. I just got a burden. I'm just waiting to give it to the Lord. Come up here to the altar and give it to the Lord. You don't need me to do it. You can give it to him and lay it at his feet. Weep, pray, cry over it, whatever it is you need to do, and give it to him. For everybody else, we need to take a hint, as this woman did. She was so excited about the thrill of Jesus Christ coming, or Jesus, the Messiah coming to her, of all people, the lowliest outcast person. 
he brought the gospel to her. He was so excited, she could not not tell. She dropped everything she had and went to tell the town. And then the town people believed. Look at us. We had the joy of our salvation. May it be never said about us that we do not praise the Lord joyfully in word and in proclamation of song and in prayer. God is patient, God is merciful, and we should be screaming, shouting, and celebrating those facts that he saved a sinner like you and he saved a sinner like me. As you remember, those of you who were, went to church before you were saved and, and you sung songs and, and you realize, hey, some songs meant certain things. Hey, you heard Amazing Grace, you heard Blessed Assurance, you heard Oh, in Christ alone, stuff like that. But then you got saved. Ooh, those words actually have some deeper meaning. And then you grow in your faith and, whoa, oh, that song just, oh, it speaks to me because that's where I was in my faith or that's how I feel. Those words express it so beautifully. We need to sing and celebrate those statements of faith that we have, even from hymns and songs we sing. Same thing with the Scripture. It, there's layers to Scripture. It's not just a woman the way on Jesus meets her. Look all what happened. We had to, the curtain reveals and the layers and layers and how deep this is for your faith and for my faith. But even as we're speaking right here, all the different ages, you can walk out and people will say different things about the message. What message? Other one would be, oh, yeah. That was neat that Jesus spoke to that woman when she was an outcast. Or, look how God worked his whole divine meeting from that morning. And they traveled, but no one knew what was going on. See, it's the increases and the depthness and the layers of where we are in a maturity of faith. But no matter where you are in your faith, it's the joy of your salvation that we should be celebrating. And because of that joy, we want to tell. Remember Isaiah 12, one of the few verses that we read. I'll read a few verses. Sing to the Lord. For he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out with joy and sing, citizens of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you. I'll be singing a song. You may not know it. It's an easy chorus. Uh, it may be too high if you think for you. Sing an octave lower. Sing. And when we get to the chorus, you'll know it. You'll figure it out. We'll sing it multiple times. And this will be our... Call to worship, call to worship, sorry, uh, invitation and our benediction, and I will dismiss you after this song.